Great job, Trent. You know, when I was eight years old, I began to take piano lessons so that two years later, when I was 10 years old, I could play the drums in the school band. It's one of those prerequisites. And I really just wanted to play the drums, and so I banged on everything that I could get my hands on as a young child. I'd bang on the side of things, on, the, on, drum, on pats and pans. I just had a rhythm and had to get it out, or at least I thought I did as a young boy. And so when I began to take drum lessons and learn to play the snare drum, but particularly what I really wanted to play was the drum set, you know, with all the drums and all the cymbals where I could just go wild and play on that blessed instrument. And so to learn during lessons, I would actually uh, put on headphones, typically, sometimes would just listen out loud, but would listen to a recording, and then I would play along to that whatever beat was, was being played. There was a metronome there that would keep time uh, with the, the recording, but that's how I really learned to play. I would read music on a sheet and things, but the best way that I would learn was just to, uh, to hear these things. And initially it was rough and sloppy, and I couldn't follow along very well, and so I would get frustrated. I wasn't very skilled, I wasn't very controlled. And then I would see those that were a few years older than me, those that were in junior high or even high school playing, and they were great, and I would be jealous of their great skill. But over time, I became better, lots of instruction, lots of listening, lots of practice to that end. And I think learning to pray is a lot like learning to drum, Early on in the faith, our prayers are maybe a little rough, a little sloppy. We get easily frustrated. We don't know the right words to say, and maybe we think there are right words to say, and if only we could articulate it better, we would get more of what we wanted. Maybe we're jealous of those who are older in the faith, those who've, who've been following Christ a long time, and they seem to pray eloquently. They seem to pray well. And interestingly enough, God has laid out the song of His will in the Scriptures. He's given us the Holy Spirit to keep time. And so we learn to pray as we mature in the faith, as we learn His will. And over time, then, our rough prayers become rich and deep. This is part of sanctification. This is part of the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. We go from like the, a young boy learning to drum to the professional whose controlled, rhythmic, skilled, knowledgeable hands lay down a pleasing beat to hear. Maybe not all drummers are, are great to listen to, but those that are skilled are pleasant to the ear. And so this is where we really find ourselves, in this midst of this great chapter, Romans 8, learning how to pray in the midst of our sanctification. Turn there in your copy of God's Word to Romans 8, where we pick up in verse 26. Tonight we'll just look at two verses, 26 and 27. Next week we'll get to the great verse that all of us probably know and 
verse 28, and the safety that we find in the sovereignty of God there. But listen now as I read here verses 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Where we find ourselves, where these two great verses come in the flow of of, uh, Paul's argument in Romans is in light of our sanctification, of our becoming more like Christ, of our growing in the faith. Chapter 6 was sin and and, and the believer's relationship to sin in suffering. Chapter 7, the believer's relationship to the law in sanctification, rather. And in chapter 8, now the believer's relationship to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work through suffering and just in our life in general in sanctification. And where we've come from now, if we're remembering the last few weeks, are these groans that the believers have. That, and really we've seen that suffering, waiting, groaning is a global reality. That creation groans. And we as believers, we groan, waiting, hoping for the redemption of our bodies, for the glory that is to be revealed to us. And in the meantime here, as we wait for that, as we wait for the Lord's return or for Him to take us home, in the meantime then we persevere and we endure. And oftentimes that means that we have to go through suffering. And so we consider then as believers, as we endure through those times of suffering, as we endure through this life, we consider that no matter what we go through here, as those things pale in comparison to the greatness of glory that is yet to come. That whatever we experience now is only temporary, is only momentary, but the glory that is to be revealed in us is eternal. And so as we wait, in the difficulty of waiting, God in His great kindness, God in His great provision has also given us His Holy Spirit who helps us persevere. And also, as we'll see tonight here, is that He helps us pray And so the title of tonight's message here, if you are aware of it, you didn't see it out on the sign or in the bulletin, is how the Holy Spirit helps us. How the Holy Spirit helps us, particularly how he helps us pray. And so we have to understand first is the problem. We have to identify, well, what is the problem here? Why do we need help before we can understand that the Holy Spirit is going to help us and how he does help us? And so it begins here in the same way, following this line of reasoning here, in the same way that we groan, in the same way that creation groans, in the same way that we are waiting here, the Spirit also is going to help us in our weakness. The problem then is our weakness is not knowing how to pray. For we do not know how to pray as we should. Some think here that the weakness that we have is is only a physical weakness. And that's... that falls within the category here, but I think it's a much bigger weakness. Same Greek word is used for physical ailments. First Timothy talks about that um, in Galatians as well, the same word for physical weakness, but it also is much bigger here. It's a, it, it can refer to the weakness of our soul. And so what he's referring to here is, is really much more than that of, of all of our human frailty, 
particularly in how we physically pray and what, how, how we pray the things that we should desire within our soul. Have you ever been there, been in a situation in your life? Maybe you find yourself in a situation now where you know not what to pray for. You're wondering, well, God, how do we go from here? Maybe you've been in the consultation room with the doctor, hearing this diagnosis of only months to live. Or maybe you're on the other side. You've gone through months and months, maybe years, of a prolonged illness and a struggle. Maybe in your own life or in the life of a spouse or your child. What do you pray for in that situation? Do you pray for healing? Do you pray for perseverance through the sickness? Do you pray for death and deliverance from this? As a believer, we have that hope to say, God, just take me. What do you pray in a situation like this? Aaron and I know this all too well. And when with Gwendolyn's 36 hours, we knew not what to pray. God, would you take her? God, would you heal her? God, do we persevere through this? What do we do? Maybe you find yourself in a stressful job situation. You have a demanding boss, difficult co-workers, unrealistic deadlines, long hours, little pay. Do you pray for a change in job? God, would you give me a new job? Do you pray for perseverance through this? Do you pray for a new boss, new co-workers, a decrease in hours? Do you pray for it in that situation? Maybe you have no job. Maybe you lost your job unexpectedly. You've looked everywhere. You've had lots of interviews, but no offers. What do you do? Do you wait? Do you pray for endurance? Pray for a new job? Do you pray to move? Do you pray to maybe I need to look for another field? Do I go back to school? Very applicable to where we find ourselves now in light of what Chris preached this morning. We find ourselves in a nation spiraling out of control. Increasing persecution, increasing freedoms being taken away from us. Do we pray for revival? Do we pray for the Lord's return? Do we pray for patience and waiting? Do we pray for a change in governmental leadership? What do we pray? Maybe you're in a difficult marriage. Believe your spouse is a believer, but you'd see no growth. They're unwilling to change, and this has continued on year after year. Do you pray for endurance? Do you get, pray to, for a changed heart in yourself? Do you pray for a changed heart in your spouse? Do you separate? Do you get counseling? Maybe you have rebellious teens in your home. Teens that are disrespectful, disobedient, they're selfish. They don't help. They do their own thing, and when you ask for their help, even demand for their help, they just turn and walk away. Do you pray for them? Do you discipline them? Do you push through? Do you kick them out? What do you do? Maybe you find yourself in the valley of darkness. You're depressed. You're aimless. You're purposeless. You don't know where to go next. Do you seek help? Do you push through? What do you do in this situation? How do you pray? Maybe you desire to get married. Find yourself single. No prospects on the horizon. You've tried. You've gone on blind dates. You've... But each time, nothing. Do you give up? 
Do you embrace singleness? Do you keep trying? Do you move to another city with other people your age? What do you do in situations like these? How do you pray? Do you identify with any of these scenarios? Maybe another one in your life. Do you, do you, do you get the picture here? of the weakness that we have in the light of our sanctification, knowing that God is up to something, but not knowing which way to go or what would be his will. Real-life situations, and here we see position against one another as our limited understanding versus the sovereignty of God, the will of God, what is he doing in our life. And so we find ourselves, this is part of the reason why we groan, is it not? What do I do, Lord? Where do I go? We know not how to pray, but praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit comes to the rescue. Doesn't he? The help, that's the problem there. The problem is that we are weak, that we know not how to pray in many of life's situations. As we seek to, uh, to take steps forward in life and to make decisions, oftentimes we don't know exactly what the will of God would be. And so we have been given this great gift in the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who teaches us, who assures us of our salvation. And also, praise God, he is the ultimate prayer warrior. He comes along and he helps us. And this is really the meaning of help. The Holy Spirit also helps, and that's a a great and an accurate translation, but it also is minimized because this is more than your child just helping around the house. This is literally to come alongside and to help bear up a load with another person. It's a a big Greek word here, but but it's more than just, I'm going to just help pick up a few things. No, this is indicative of someone who comes alongside, walks, helps pick up the load that we are carrying, and proceeds through life with us. We have help from the helper. Jesus himself called the Holy Spirit our helper, didn't he? Our counselor, our advocate. And so the Holy Spirit helps us in these situations where we know not how to proceed, helps us in our weakness by praying for us in two ways. In two ways. First, in verse 26 there, towards the end, it teaches us here that the Holy Spirit prays sympathetically. The Holy Spirit prays for us sympathetically. Look here what it says. But the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. To intercede means to plead one's case. Here again, it's in uh, what would, we would say of an advocate, of a counselor, someone who is, is, knows the case and is, is pleading for him, who is coming alongside. And he pleads He intercedes, he advocates with groanings. And so there's some discrepancy here about, well, who is the one who groans? We know, we've seen through the the progression, we've seen through the verses here that the creation groans, waiting eagerly for glory. We know that believers groan, waiting eagerly for glory. So who here? Who here? It seems pretty straightforward, and yet there is some varying views. There's three views here. The first is malarkey, the second has merit, and the third is the meaning. Okay? The first is, is, and this is held primarily by charismatics, is that this is us speaking in tongues. 
Okay, that this is us, they would say, that here, while we're in sanctification, that the, it's the Spirit who's bringing up these groans in us, and it comes out in this unintelligible speech. Well, that's the first view, and you know what I think of it. The second view is us in suffering. And so some would say, and this, this has some merit, guys like John Piper and even, even the great doctor Martin Lloyd-Jones holds this view. He would say that, no, this is us groaning, that those us believers who have the first fruit of the Spirit, this is indicative of us who is suffering. Because in, in their mind, they would say that, well, the Holy Spirit has no weakness, therefore he would not groan. We have the Spirit, and He causes us to groan in that. And it, it has some merit, but I think it's, it's with the plain reading of the Scripture here, the third is the meaning. The third is the best here. It's held by John MacArthur, Jim Boyce, others, and probably the more popular view here. But ultimately, this is the Holy Spirit groaning for us in sympathy. It's not from weakness. It's not that, the, that we would concede that the Holy Spirit has weakness and, and is, is groaning. No, we know that we have weakness, that the, that the creation is weak because we've been subjected to sin, because we've been corrupted. But this is us, or the Holy Spirit rather, groaning with sympathy. Not from weakness, but with rather an insider understanding of our finiteness. Knowing that we are groaning out of weakness, the Holy Spirit in, inside of us is groaning with us. This is the, someone who's come alongside, who's sympathizing with us. And Jim Boyce has this great quote in his commentary, and he says, that of, of the Holy Spirit who comes along and helps us, who bears the burden of, the, of our weakness. He says, a groan is appropriate for burden-bearing. A groan is, is appropriate for burden-bearing. A groan will suffice. It's like in lifting weights, you know, and, and you're pushing up the weight, you're ex extending your limits, and you're groaning through it. You don't need to speak with, with words, you know, that's why it's with groans too deep for words, literally groans unutterable, unspeakable. And so a groan will suffice. And a lift, when you're weightlifting, nobody wants to be with the chatty person like, oh, this is really hard. I'm lifting up this amount of weight and I'm exerting this amount of force. Nobody would. That, that's just unthinkable. But rather, you groan with it. And so instead of this being indicative of the Holy Spirit's weakness, no, this is actually of great power and of great strength. We are weak, and yet the Spirit is strong. And so the, this, is, this is of the Holy Spirit praying for us sympathetically. The Holy Spirit who indwells believers. This great deposit that we have as believers. When we know not what to pray, God himself inside us, sympathetically groaning, praying with us. And we're in, in, with groans that are unutterable. And it's not that he's unable to articulate words. It's not that the Holy Spirit is, is tongue-tied. But he doesn't have to speak anything because he's God, he already knows our heart, beginning of verse 27, he knows our hearts and desires, and God knows the mind of the Spirit, so there's no need for the Holy Spirit to verbalize what's going on here. A groan will suffice. A sympathetic groan. Not a, not a uh, patronizing groan. But when you hear bad news... You come alongside someone and you can t tell that somebody is, is a, you know, a brother or sister in Christ and they are, are, are burdened with something. Maybe terrible news has just been delivered to them and they are telling you and relating this to you. 
And what is often our initial response? Oh, I'm so sorry. At least that should be an appropriate response. Not the obnoxious, chatty, figuring it all out, but just a sympathetic groan. I feel you. I understand. I, I, that, that is difficult. And here we have God himself indwelling us as believers in this process of sanctification as we wait for glory, as we endure the things that happen to us on this earth, as we endure all those situations that were mentioned before. Holy Spirit helps us by interceding for us, by praying for us sympathetically. But it's not just sympathetically. Because verse 27 tells us that secondly, the Holy Spirit prays for us specifically. He prays sympathetically and he prays specifically. He intercedes, the Holy Spirit intercedes for the saints according to God or according to the will of God. And you can take it to the bank that the Holy Spirit only and always prays for God's will to be done in your life and for our conformity to Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else, no patronizing prayers, no simple prayers, but always in accordance to the will of God and for our conformity to Christ. And so this leads us with the big question here. As he prays specifically according to the will of God, we need to ask the question, well, what is the will of God? Isn't that the whole part in our weakness is that we don't know? That's why we don't know how to pray? God, if only you would lay it out for us, if only you would make it clear, then I would do that and I would pray that and I would walk in that. Well, that's the, that's the tricky part, isn't it? And here's where we have the... the uh, balance between God's revealed will to us and his hidden will. That which he has revealed to us to do versus what is his sovereign will, his hidden will, his his secret will that he is working out and unfolding for us. And so the reality is for us in in this life here, as we are in our weakness, as we maybe don't know what the hidden will of God is, is that we obey the revealed will of God, which he has made very clear for believers to live like. And then the hidden will of God becomes clear as we progress in that. And so there's very helpful things. It's, it's actually very simple. It's sometimes we make God's will and what we're to do much more complicated. And that leads to increased uh, weakness and increased confusion and, and deeper uh, dissatisfaction and, and, uh, and, and aimlessness and purposeless in our life. But yet, just the simple, just go use a, a, a Bible search engine, Bible Gateway or something, and type in the will of God, and only a handful of verses come up. And they're easily sorted out versus the ones that say, he who does the will of God, X, Y, and Z will happen, versus this is the will of God or the will of the Lord. And so there's, there's a couple really great books that help to categorize this. John MacArthur has a, a small book called Found, God's Will, very helpful book. Uh, Kevin DeYoung has another small book called Just Do Something where he kind of organizes the, these simple verses for us. And so I just want to, I'm going to go off of of what uh, MacArthur has taught and and just lay this out here. What is the revealed will of God? What does he want always? What should we always obey? What should we always be doing knowing that this pleases him? Well, first, when, when we ask what is the will of God, we know that it is his will that all men would be saved, right? 
We know that he desires all men to be saved. First Timothy tells us this, doesn't it? First Timothy 2, 3 and 4. <clears throat> or three, yeah, 3 and 4. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is God's will, that all men would be saved. And so we should be praying in accordance with this. We should, be, we should be desiring that all around us, in whatever situation we find ourselves in, that this may be an instrument of salvation in their life. Corresponding to this, the second part, the will of God is that he desires that we be spirit-filled. Ephesians 5. Just turn there. 17 and 18. It says, do not, so then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There you go. Do not be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. This is God's will for us in all these situations, that we would be filled with the Spirit, that we, would be ind- that we are indwelled as believers. We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Okay? We're, we're indwelled by Him. He makes up His residence in us. It's a great joy of being a believer, of being sealed by Him. But then as we continue on through life, it's that we should be Spirit-filled, that we would, be, that we would have the Word of God richly dwelling in us that we would be saturated with this book and walking in him. This isn't some sort of uh, out-of-body type experience of, of uh, being filled in, in some sort of hypnotic type of state through life. But this is just being saturated with God's word, being saturated with the Holy Spirit, that he is working through us, bringing God's word to our mind, that we can sing these great hymns of the faith, that we can be thankful that we are subject to one another, that we fear God. Third, it's His will that we be sanctified or that we be pure in three, three different ways. First Thessalonians speaks to this. First Thessalonians 3 and 4. Turn there if you want to. Just listen as I read it for you. First Thessalonians 4, 3, and, 3 to, well, read to 6. For this is the will of God. There you go. Here, you want to know what the will of God is for you? Here it is. Your sanctification. Your purity. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter because the Lord is the avenger in all these things just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. And so as we think about, here's the will of God. He desires that we be sanctified, that we be pure, and specifically that we be sexually pure, that we be self-controlled, not giving in to desires of the flesh, not giving in to sin, but, be, but holding those in check of being self-controlled, of stopping from doing them. And third, that we be sincere, or that we be honest. That we not lie or defraud or cheat or try to take advantage of a brother in Christ. That's the will of God for you. That you, be, that you refrain from sexual immorality. That you refrain from the lust of the flesh. That you refrain from lying. That you refrain from sin and be pure in this way. 
From 1 Peter, we also learn a lot about the will of God, probably the book that mentions it the most. 1 Peter 2, 13 to 15, he tells us that we are forth to be submissive to authority. To be submissive to authority. Chris preached on this several weeks ago. 1 Peter 2, 13 and 14. Submit yourselves for, for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and the praise for those who do, uh, for the, of those who do, who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. God's will is that we be submissive to the authorities, that we may silence them. And so we do what is right. We follow the Lord by submitting to every human institution, local government all the way to our federal government. And finally, just flip over to the next chapter here. It is God's will that we be suffering. We be suffering. 1 Peter three seventeen. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. And again, in chapter 4, verse 19, where he says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So this is the will of God. He desires, not that we go out and we look for it in some sort of uh, pain-desiring way, some sort of masochistic attitude, but here it is oftentimes the word of God, and specifically here I think this comes in light of submitting to authority, is sometimes that this means that we will have to suffer. And not that we would go looking for it, but in our decision-making, in understanding what God's will is, I think this is, is helpful for us because it's, it shows us that we don't just run away from it. Sometimes the will of God and what he wants us to do is embrace suffering for our sanctification, embrace persecution, willing to suffer for Christ, if that's what it means to hold to our convictions and to do what is the will of God. And so here we see this kind of overarching uh, big picture that we be saved, that we be spirit-filled, that we be sanctified in, in regards to our sexual purity and self-control and in our sincerity and our honesty and working with others, that we be submissive to authority and that we be willing to suffer for Christ. And so if this is a part of the will of God, then this is a, a part of his revealed will of God. And this is how we know that the Holy Spirit will be praying for us. Then we should too, shouldn't we? We should be obedient to these things. It's not as complicated as we make it. And praise the Lord, the Holy Spirit knows even more than this. This is what has been revealed to us, but the Holy Spirit knows the hidden will, the sovereign will of God. And he is praying that according to, to, for us, even though we don't know it. But he's indwelling us and leading us in that way. And so as we follow the hidden will of God, then the, reveal, or the, the revealed will of God, then the hidden will of, will of God becomes more clear. 
As we know, okay, God, this is what you have revealed to me. This is what I need to be doing. Okay, I'm saved. Check. Am I filled with the Spirit? Well, I need to, I need to read my Bible. I need to be ingrained with this. I need to be saturated with this. Am I being sexually pure? Am I being self-controlled? Am I dealing with people honestly? Am I, being, am I submitting to authorities? Am I willing to suffer? And as these things take place, as, these, as we follow out these, these things and as we attempt to obey them, maybe not perfectly, but we continue to obey, pray according to this, and then our will then is aligned with God's will. Then our will, as we pray this way, as we walk in obedience to these things, then our will becomes aligned with God's will. And then that's when the psalm comes for, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. And so then do whatever your heart desires in those situations. Pray that way. Make your decision based on that. If you can say that I am walking in the revealed will of God, doing as he would desire you to do, then press on. And so what do we do in a situation like was mentioned before? We pray for healing, perseverance, or the Lord's return. Well, we don't always know clearly. That's why we pray and walk in obedience, conformity to Christ, which is our good. And so just as we conclude these, this, these verses here, we know that the Holy Spirit prays for us sympathetically and specifically according to the will of God. He knows the will of God. He knows our hearts. He knows what we desire. He's indwelled us. And so as we conclude this, we, we would just say, you know, we need to first recognize that we need help. We need help in this, don't we? That's the, where we need to start. Some of us haven't recognized this, that we are dependent. We just try to bull through life unsubmitted to the Lord, trying to figure out things on our own, and, and no wonder we can't make any decisions. No wonder we, we continue to run face first into walls and make poor decisions. Because we need to recognize that we are dependent, that we are weak, that we are finite, that there is a problem. And yet the second thing is, it's then we, we run to God. <laughs> This is the beauty of the gospel, is that we recognize this in, in our unbelief, and God brings us to our recognition, and then it's a, a, a process of continually recognizing the same fundamental truth as we're sanctified. You know, but we recognize that we are sinful people, that we are without, that we are not perfect, that we are finite. And the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Christ, is that he hasn't just left us there. But the God-man has come and that's where we find victory because he won it for us on the cross. That all who would recognize their sin, repent of it, and then turn towards Christ can be saved, can enjoy this help. Then the Holy Spirit comes and takes residence and prays for us in our weakness, recognizing that we are without. And once we're there, if we've run to God, we've embraced the gospel. And we need to even ourselves begin praying according to God's will. And so that would be my challenge for you even this week. Is 
take stock of how you pray. Are you recognizing your dependence? Are you recognizing your weakness? But the great glory of the Holy Spirit, who's our advocate, who's our helper, who's our burden bearer, our counselor, who knows our heart and the will of God, who is God himself. And so maybe you struggle with prayer and its purpose. How, how do I pray? What's even the purpose of praying? God's going to do what he's going to do anyway, so should I even pray at all? Common battle that I myself face, and I'm sure maybe you do as well. And yet prayer does change things. It may not change the mind of God. It may not change the will of God. But it does change things. It does change situations, particularly our own souls, our own desires. So if you find yourself in one of those scenarios, or maybe another that you find yourself in, wondering what it is that God wants in that situation, you can pray confidently that His will be done and that my world will be rocked, that I will be conformed to Christ. Because we know those two things will always happen. God, your will be done, and may I be submitted to that. May I be obedient to what you want me to do. And then ask. Ask specifically for what you want, what your heart desires in that situation. Praying for God's will to be done regardless. Not my will, but your will be done. Then pretty soon, as we mature in the faith, as we continue to grow and be instructed, as the Holy Spirit does His sanctifying work in our hearts through the Word of God, and pretty soon your drumming will become rhythmic, pleasing to the ear. Be in tune and in time after some great help and instruction. So too, your prayers will become rhythmic. So too, they will be in tune with the will of God. So too, they will be pleasing to Him. So too, the Spirit is helping us in our weakness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come now recognizing that you are good, that you are great, that you have given us great help when we did not deserve it. Thank you for great passages like this that remind us of these great things, God. And so help us to walk and obey your will. Help us to be submitted to it. Help us even this week, God, as we maybe have big decisions on the horizon. Help us, maybe we're just enduring through prolonged illness or prolonged situations, prolonged unemployment. And so all who are here tonight, God, would you help us as we wait? Help us as we persevere. Thank you for the spirit that you have given to us as we wait and as we persevere. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.